I've had a number of thoughts running through my mind the last, uh, the last few um, weeks. And uh, Brother Doug mentioned something in this morning's sermon that also touched off a thought. And so I'd like to read a portion of scripture found in the 19th chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 19. I'd like to begin with the 12th verse. Genesis 19, beginning with the 12th verse. And just to set the scene, um, this is occurring in the city of Sodom, where Lot and his family live. Angels have been sent by God to view the city to see if it really is as wicked um, as, as the report has been given. And the angels, uh, I'm not going to read the previous section, but uh, they were uh, set upon by the men of the city who wanted to do them harm. And they struck those men with blindness, and now those same two angels are inside Lot's house with him. And they have a message from God for him, starting with the 12th verse. And the men said unto Lot, that's the angels, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place? For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city." And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth, and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O, oh, not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. O, oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee, concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The name Zoar means little. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities, and all the plain, and all the inhabitants of the cities 
that, and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. I've read until the 30th verse. Certainly a sober chapter here that we have before us. One that we shouldn't lightly overlook. On Wednesday, we were looking together into the book of Revelation, specifically at the destruction of the city that is called Babylon. And it talks about the smoke of her burning going up and the nations of the world lamenting over her and the merchandise they made of her. A sobering thought, and I was drawn to think about this other city that experienced a overthrow from heaven that was consumed with burning as well. God's word is always profitable to look into, and things are recorded here in a way that for us is a cautionary tale. If you were to think about the Jews of, of the olden days, this was recorded, it was well known. And perhaps for the ancient Jews, this story was a story about morality, about God's judgment for an immoral society, of the origin of some nations, relatives of theirs. From Lot came the Moabites and the Ammonites, which were kind of cousins to the Jews. But as it so often is, you know, when the Lord came, when the Lord Jesus Christ came and walked this world, he very rarely introduced something totally new. But often he took things that were contained in the Old Testament, well-known things, well-known facts, and he breathed into them fresh meaning. Many times he said, you have heard it said in old time, so and so, but I say unto you this. And he would often take these things in the Old Testament and open them in a way that, that people had not considered, that, that, that they had not previously thought about, even simple things. I'm reminded of when Christ uh, spoke to the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the two factions, of course, in, 
in the ancient Jewish world there at the time of Christ. One, the, the Sadducees, they were kind of Hellenized. They had adopted Greek philosophy, Greek culture, Greek names, Greek dress, even though they themselves were Jews. They were from the aristocracy. And then there was the Pharisees, the, the religious orthodox, the ones that clung to the law and the prophets as delivered to Moses and tried their very best to observe everything that he commanded to the point where Jesus said of them, do as they tell you, but don't do as they do. And with those Sadducees, they, they gave him what they thought was a, was a gorgon knot, was a, was a complex problem. This woman who had been married seven times, whose wife shall she be in the resurrection? And, and Jesus had to go back to a very simple scripture, something understood by every Jew from, from the youngest of ages. He says, don't you remember what God said to Moses in the bush? I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. A simple truth, forgotten. And I heard it said, I, I'm not going to get the quote right, but it, it, the idea of it stuck with me. So the truths that are the ones that are the most in danger for the Christian are the ones that are universally accepted and not applied, but left on a sickbed, infirm, something to that effect. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, really, that's true. That's true. Sometimes the most important truths for the Christian are the ones that are forgotten but universally acclaimed. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to look at least a little bit at one of those truths, perhaps. This story is a familiar one. Abraham... We know a lot about. There's been a fair bit recorded on him. Lot, somewhat less. But the one that I would like to look at this afternoon hour with the Lord's help is one of whom we know very little. We simply know her as Lot's wife. Lot's wife. Her name is not even given. We don't know much about her. We know scripture says that Lot was righteous, that the, the conversation of the men of that city vexed his soul from day to day. And so I'm inclined to have a very poor opinion of Lot's wife. Why was he there? Why was he in such a wicked city? Perhaps, the scripture doesn't tell us, but perhaps, just perhaps, it was at his wife's insistence. This may be a, a politics sermon for a Mother's Day, but I think it underlines a very important truth that Brother Doug raised this morning in the sermon, that the impact of the mother in the home is very, very important, good or bad, good or bad. 
even in that society that was by all accounts a patriarchy. We even refer to the patriarch Abraham and the patriarchs, the, the fathers. But think for a moment now about Lot's wife. I don't want to speculate too much. But we know a few things about Lot. When he was outside of the city, Lot picked the good ground. He picked the well-watered plain where there would be plenty of of forage for his, his cattle. And he says he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Next, we find him in the city. Now, in this account, we find him in the gate of the city, one of the leading men. We know that he had sons-in-law. Perhaps, just perhaps, some of those cattle were sold off for a dowry for those daughters to be married. He was here in this city. It's interesting, too, to me that even though Scripture says Lot was righteous, the Lord came to Abraham to reveal what he was going to do. And there I see the first truth that I would like to highlight. God doesn't reveal special insight, I think, to those that are caught up in the affairs of this world. He looks for the man that is apart with God. Abraham chose the pilgrim lifestyle. He didn't put down roots in this area, even though God had promised all of that land to him and his descendants. He was a sojourner, we read, and Hebrews tells us more fully that he sought a city whose builder and maker was God. So the one who has chosen to walk apart from the world with God, God will speak to. God will show his heart to. God will give promises to. Don't know exactly how that all works, but I see it in Scripture. It was at Abraham's intercession that God willingly lowered the number of righteous in that city, uh, the, the threshold that he would save the city, all the way down to 10 people. And Abraham left off bargaining with God at 10. It's ironic, isn't it, today, that only 10 can gather in houses of worship? Just 10. Perhaps Abraham did the math. Lot, Lot's wife, his two unmarried daughters, that makes four. It says he has sons-in-law. So perhaps there were two more couples. That would have put it at eight at the minimum. I believe that the son, sons-in-law were actually not the, the son-in-law of the unmarried daughters because it says Lot went out to them and then the angel tells them later on, take your daughters that are with you. So I think that's not an unreasonable assumption. So close to that number where God would spare the city. But there comes a time when a separation needs to be made. Judgment was coming from the hand of God. 
for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. That day is coming. We don't know exactly when. As we've been studying together in the book of Revelation, it is coming, it is a sure thing, it is recorded as it were history already in the books of heaven. And perhaps we realize how insecure we are in the face of something like this pandemic and how rapidly things can change, how rapidly uh, freedoms perhaps that we took for granted can be set aside in the favor of what's called the public good. I'm not here to preach civil disobedience. That's not the point. What I want to point to instead is the impermanence of these created things. They are all marked, slated for destruction. And there will come a time where, like, it, like Jesus said to those that were in Jerusalem, and when you see these things, don't even go down into the house to take the things from the house, but get out. He knew that the things that we have would be a snare, a hook on us to hold us back. Did you know, I found this fascinating, Josephus records it, when Jerusalem was besieged, Jesus said before he died, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get out. Now wait a minute, that sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? If it's surrounded by armies, how are you going to get out? Well, as history would have it, as God decreed it, the Roman army briefly lifted the siege of Jerusalem and the Jews went out after them and slaughtered many Romans. But for the Christians that were in Jerusalem, they realized that this was, the, this was their window of opportunity. This was their, their day of salvation. They needed to get out. And so they left en masse. Every single Christian in the city of Jerusalem left because of the word of their Lord, because they paid attention. And when the Roman army came back and ringed it in and starved out the people and their end was, was, was horrible, not a single Christian perished among them. The principle is this. The godly are not to be attached to the things of this world. They are a hook, a snare to us. Don't become attached to political systems. Don't become attached to personal wealth. Don't become attached to even a country. The holy city, Jerusalem, David's city, was destroyed, raised to the ground. An impossibility in the mind of the Jews. The last place they hold up was in the Temple Mount. And as Jesus said, not one stone would be left upon another, and so it was. Lot goes first to his sons-in-law to warn them. I thought a little bit about those sons-in-law. Another family, another time in the future from this account, there was, a, there was a city, a small city called Shechem. And there was a man named Hamor who lived there. And a prince of that city wanted to marry, I think it was Dinah, the daughter 
the daughter of Jacob. And he said something really interesting. Scripture is not entirely clear what exactly happened with Dinah. But the young man from Shechem did what the honorable thing was and went to her father to request her hand in marriage because she had been defiled. And the brothers, Judah and Simeon, gave a sly answer to that young man. They said, it's not lawful for us to give our sister to one who's uncircumcised. If you want to marry her, you're going to have to do that thing. You're going to need to be circumcised like us, otherwise we're gone. So the young man went back. And he told his family and the men of the city, we should do this. It's going to be painful, but think of the benefits. All of their cattle will be ours. We'll become one nation. There was an economic advantage there. I wonder. I wonder if these sons-in-law were not all that different from the men of Shechem. It's an opportunity to marry into a rich family. Maybe the thought was, at least on the part of Lot's wife, that this is going to integrate us into the society. Maybe Lot figured that there was going to be an opportunity here to maybe turn the men of, of, of Sodom away from some of their wickedness and, and bring about some positive social change. But when the word of the Lord came, and Lot went to those that should have honored him as a father. He seemed to them as one that mocked. He's telling a joke. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And well he lingered. That should give us all pause for thought. What holds us back? When God's will is to separate from that which is evil, what keeps us still? Maybe not participating or to the excess of others, but at least maybe curious about those things. I've done some thinking about this myself. Would the Lord be displeased with the things that I read? The places I go on the internet? Oh, maybe they're not explicitly sinful, but are they foolish? Are they, are they something that's hooking me in, wasting time? Does my heart go after the things of the world? Do I want to be a little bit more like the rest of my neighbors in the neighborhood? I mean, who really wants to be an odd, an odd person, an odd guy out? Wouldn't it be nice to be thought of as a good guy, an upstanding citizen, one just like 
the rest of us? The Lord had to take him by the hand through the angels and pull him out of the city. Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And then Lot begins to bargain. Not like Abraham bargained, but for himself, for his own comfort. I think if we're all honest, we can identify with a bit of this. Surely not that far. I mean, as long as I'm outside of the city, isn't that enough? And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. I don't know what to make of that. Other than there must be more that is not recorded. She only looked back. She didn't go back. She'd look back. What's so wrong with that? What's wrong with looking? This scares me. This scares me because she was clean escaped from the city. And she looked back and God judged her. For those that would like to hold to the doctrine of eternal security, what do you do with this verse? Saved by the hand of God. Saved by an angel expressly sent by God for that purpose. Taken out of the city. And yet lost. We need to be careful. We need to be very careful. Our forefathers, I believe, understood the value of separation and a pilgrim lifestyle because at any time the government could come and take away everything they had. So they understood that. They had their faults as well. I'm not trying to whitewash things. There were faults and mistakes as well. But that they understood. And I would say that is precisely what we have forgotten. Everything we are, own, and have belongs to the one who redeemed us. And when we show such, such brazen unthankfulness to look back at the things of the world, to pine for them, to dabble in them, to be just like the rest, to look like them, to talk like them, to do what they do. We're in danger. We need to be careful. That's what the Lord laid on my heart this afternoon hour. I try to trace my train of thought backwards to figure out how I ended up thinking about this thing over here. I wonder how often Lot wondered that to himself. How did I get here? It wasn't an overnight change. He started off with Abraham. He spent uncounted hours 
with his uncle, learning what God had told him, learning the things that he had learned from, from God himself, instructions God gave him. Lot's wife must have had some interaction with Sarah. In fact, I would imagine that they probably at one point didn't look all that different. Dressed the same, did the same things. But with time, with time, things changed. The simple dress of the desert nomad was no good for the important wife of Mrs. Lot. She needed to adopt the fashions, the customs of the place. A little wouldn't do to look plain next to her new companions. You know, a little bit of color to help out her features. A little bit fancier dress, maybe, than what Sarah used to wear. A new hairstyle. You know, I've been organizing some of my old photos, digital photos. And it's been enjoyable, but also kind of sad. They go back now almost 20 years. And 20 years is a long enough time to see some changes. I look back and I see there's certain ones that are no longer part of our fellowship. I see some now that don't dress like they used to. I see some that used to have long hair and now it's cut quite short. Some that used to wear head coverings and now seem to rarely do. Some that used to enjoy the things of our fellowship and have since left us for various reasons. The reasons are not always simple. All of that to say that I'd like to repeat the words of the Lord when he said, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. We do well to heed our Lord's warning. Change happens slowly sometimes, but one day we may wake up like Lot and look back over the wreck of our life and think, what went wrong? There were warnings along the way. Do you remember the time when the entire city of Sodom was carried away captive? And it was that strange, funny old man living alone with God up in the hills that had to rescue them. And maybe at that point, just maybe, just maybe, Lot said, you know what? Honey, that's it. That was a warning from God. We can't be with these unbelievers anymore. We need to get back in the desert. But, you know, good intentions, you know what the saying is about that. Good intentions. Perhaps I just need to close off my business affairs here before we can leave. Perhaps we just have to make sure the children are set up properly before we go back to be with Uncle Abraham. I mean, that's going to be sort of a bitter pill to swallow, isn't it? Repentance always is. One of the things that we've done as a denomination that I think is a good practice 
is our ministers are not paid. That should free us to speak the truth of God as we understand it. But when the church will no longer hear, when the attitude of cancel culture comes into the church, look out. We're on the path of Lot, not walking with Abraham. Remember Lot's wife. May the Lord add whatever was lacking. This concludes our service. Amen.